You got a quick drive, 15 minutes. You might want a short story. Maybe some Edgar Allan Poe, some Jack London. Maybe a little O. Henry. Whatever you fancy, I'll be reading short stories, fables, and tales that I think are interesting and I'm putting out on this podcast. Come back for a weekly short story and some fables sprinkled in between. Narrated by yours truly, John Wilkins. An Alpine Divorce by Robert Barr Narrated by John Wilkins In some natures, there's no half-tones, nothing but raw primary colors. But John Bodman was a man who was always at one extreme or the other. This probably would have mattered little had he not married a wife whose nature was an exact duplicate of his own. Doubtless there exists in this world precisely the right woman for any given man to marry and vice versa. But when you consider that a human being has the opportunity of being acquainted with only a few hundred people, and out of the few hundred that are there, there are but a dozen or less whom he knows intimately, and out of that dozen, one or two friends at most, it will easily be seen. When we remember the number of millions who inhabit this world, and probably since the earth was created, the right man has never yet met the right woman. The mathematical chances are all against such a meeting, and this is is the reason that divorce courts exist. Marriage at best is but a compromise, and if two people happen to be united who are of uncompromising nature, there is trouble. In the lives of these two young people, there was no middle distance. The result was bound to be either love or hate, and in this case of Mr. and Mrs. Bodman, it was hate of the most bitter and arrogant kind. In some parts of the world, incompatibility of temper is considered a just cause for obtaining a divorce. But in England, no such subtle distinction is made, and so until the wife became criminal, or the man became both criminal and cruel, these two were linked together by a bond that only death could sever. Nothing can be worse than the state of things, and the matter was only made more hopeless by the fact that Mrs. Bodman lived a blameless life and her husband was no worse, but rather better than the majority of men. Perhaps, however, the statement held up only to a certain point, for John Bodman had reached the state of mind in which he resolved to get rid of his wife and all hazards. If he had been a poor man, he would probably have deserted her, but he was rich, and a man cannot freely leave a prospering business because his domestic life happens to not be happy. When a man's mind dwells too much on any one subject, no one can tell how far he will go. The mind is a delicate instrument, and even the law recognizes that it is easily thrown from its balance. Bodman's friends, for he had friends, claimed that his mind was unhinged, but neither his friends nor his enemies suspected the truth of the episode, which turned out to be the most important as it was the most ominous event of his life. Whether John Bodman was sane or insane at the time he made his mind up to murder his wife will never be known, but there certainly was craftiness in the method he devised to make the crime appear a result of an accident. 
Nevertheless, cunning is often a quality of a mind that has gone wrong. Miss Bodman well knew how much her presence afflicted her husband, but her nature was as relentless as his, and her hatred of him was, if possible, more bitter than his hatred of her. Wherever he went, she accompanied him, and perhaps the idea of murder would never have occurred to him if she had not been so persistent in forcing her presence upon him at all times and all occasions. So when he announced to her that he intended to spend the month of July in Switzerland, she said nothing, but made her preparations for the journey. On this occasion, he did not protest, as was usual with him, and so to Switzerland the silent couple departed. There is a hotel near the mountaintops which stands on a ledge over one of the great glaciers. It is a mile and a half above the level of the sea, and it stands alone, reached by a toilsome road that zigzags up the mountain for six miles. There is a wonderful view of the snow peaks from glaciers from the verandas of the hotel, and in the neighborhood are many picturesque walks to points more or less dangerous. John Bodman knew the hotel well, and in happier days he had been intimately acquainted with the vicinity. Now that the thought of murder arose in his mind, a certain spot two miles distant from the inn continually haunted him. It was a point of view overlooking everything, and its extremity was protected by a low and crumbling wall. He arose one morning at four o'clock, slipped unnoticed out of the hotel and went to this point, which was locally named the Hanging Outlook. His memory had served him well. It was exactly the spot, he said to himself. The mountain which rose up behind it was wild and precipitous. There were no inhabitants near to overlook the place. The distant hotel was hidden by a shoulder of rock. The mountains on the other side of the valley were too far away to make it possible for any casual tourist or native to see what was going on in the hanging outlook. Far down in the valley, the only town in view seemed like a collection of little toy houses. One glance over the crumbling wall at the edge was generally sufficient for a visitor of even the strongest nerves. There was a sheer drop of more than a mile straight down, and at the distant bottom were jagged rocks and stunted trees that looked in the blue haze like shrubbery. This is the spot, said the man to himself, and tomorrow morning is the time. John Bodman had planned his crime as grimly and relentlessly and as coolly as ever he had concocted a deal on the stock market. There was no thought in his mind of mercy for his unconscious victim. His hatred had carried him far. The next morning after breakfast, he said to his wife, I intend to take a walk in the mountains. Do you wish to come with me? Yes, she answered briefly. Very well then, he said. I shall be ready at nine o'clock. I shall be ready at nine o'clock, she repeated after him. At that hour they left the hotel together, to which he was shortly to return alone. They spoke no words to each other on the way to the hanging outlook. The path was practically level, 
Skirting the mountains for the hanging outlook was not much higher above the sea than the hotel. John Bodman had formed a fixed plan for his procedure when the place was reached. He resolved to be guided by circumstance. Now and then a strange fear arose in his mind that she might cling to him and possibly drag him over the precipice with her. He found himself wondering whether she had any premonition of her fate, and one of his reasons for not speaking was the fear that a tremor in his voice might possibly arouse her suspicion. He resolved that his action should be sharp and sudden, that she might have no chance either to help herself or to drag him with her. Of her screams in the desolate region, he had no fear. No one could reach the spot except from the hotel, and no one in the morning had left the house, even for an expedition of the glacier, one of the easiest and most popular trips from the place. Curious enough, when they came within sight of the hanging outlook, Miss Bodman stopped and shuddered. Bodman looked at her through narrow slits of his veiled eyes and wondered again if she had any suspicion. No one could tell when the two people walked close together what unconscious communication one mind might have with another. What's the matter? He asked gruffly. Are you tired? John, she cried with a gasp in her voice, calling him by his Christian name for the first time in years. Don't you think that if you had been kinder to me, things might have been different? It seems to me, he answered, not looking at her, that it is rather late in the day for discussing that question. I have much regret, she said quaveringly. Have you nothing? No, he answered. Very well, she replied. Very well, replied his wife, with the usual hardness returning to her voice. I was merely giving you the chance. Remember that? Her husband looked at her suspiciously. What do you mean? He asked. Giving me a chance? I want no chance for anything else from you. A man accepts nothing from one he hates. My feelings towards you is, I imagine, no secret to you. We're tied together, and you have done your best to make the bondage insuperable. Yes, she answered with her eyes on the ground. We are tied together. We are tied together. She repeated those words under her breath and walked a few remaining steps to the outlook. Bodman sat down upon the crumbling wall. The woman dropped her alpenstock on the rock and walked nervously to and fro, clasping and unclasping her hands. Her husband caught his breath as the terrible moment drew near. Why do you walk about like a wild animal? He cried. Come here and sit down beside me and be still. She faced him with a light he had never before seen in her eyes. A light of insanity and of hatred. I walk like a wild animal? she said, because I am one. You spoke a moment ago of your hatred of me, but you're a man and your hatred is nothing to mine. Bad as you are, as much as you wish to break the bond which ties us together, there is still one thing I know you will not stoop to. I know there's no thought of murder in your heart, but there is in mine. I will show you, John Bodman, how much I hate you. The man nervously clutched the stone beside him, and gave a guilty start as she mentioned murder. Yes, she continued, I have told all my friends in England that I believe you intend to murder me in Switzerland. Good God, he cried, how could you say such a thing? I say it to show you how much I hate you, how much I am prepared to give for revenge. I've warned the people at the hotel, and when we left, two men followed us. 
The proprietor tried to persuade me not to accompany you. In a few moments, those men will come into sight of the outlook. Tell them, if you think they'll believe you, that it was an accident. The madwoman tore from the front of her dress shreds of lace and scattered them around. Bodman started up to his feet, crying, What are you about? But before he could move towards her, she precipitated herself over the wall and went shrieking and whining down the awful abyss. The next moment, two men came hurriedly round the edge of the rock and found the man standing alone. Even in his bewilderness, he realized that if he told the truth, he would not be believed. This story is a fun one. I like the fact that the wife didn't know that the husband was planning to murder her. She wanted him to suffer as much as he wanted to benefit, but both of them was caused by her death. Basically, she had no idea he was planning to murder her. They just had these similar thoughts. She's like, hey, I know how to ruin his life. I'm gonna jump off this thing and then we're not gonna be married anymore versus him actually murdering her and then living his best life afterwards. The fact that neither of them knew just says a couple things about the two of them and their relationship. I wonder if he got the chance if he would actually have pulled off the murderer or if she knew him so well. They do state earlier in the story that she was always right and he was always right. So who knows? Either way, I think this dude's spending the rest of his life in jail. Thanks for listening. This was another fun short story. The Alpine Divorce 